following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hello, Artisan Podcast listeners. Pastor Scott Austin here. Thanks so much for listening. As you've probably heard, our church has just launched a fundraising campaign to renovate and expand our children's ministry space and to make our building more accessible and inclusive. It's called Growing in Faith Together. So if this podcast has been meaningful for you, whether or not you are able to attend Artisan in person, I want to invite you to be part of this campaign too. You can visit artisangrowing.com to find out more, to make a one-time donation, or maybe even pledge a recurring gift. Thanks again for listening and for supporting Artisan Church. Enjoy the podcast. So I'd like to begin this morning with, uh, with a thank you. With a word of thanks to uh, all of you who've been around here for the past few weeks and for the way that you have responded to this Growing in Faith Together series, which is, after all, also a capital campaign, um, which can be, you know, challenging for churches and, uh, and so forth. Um, I have uh, promised all along to not, to not to turn sermons into PBS pledge drives, as I've said, and I hope that that has been the case for the most part. Um, but I'm grateful to you for the response that you've given uh, to the ideas and to the way that it's being presented. It's really been encouraging. So thank you for sticking with this. And uh, if you're visiting with us today, I am sorry. <laughs> I mean, not really, because again, hopefully we're doing this in a way that uh, feels comfortable and doesn't violate the purpose of coming to church to worship God and to hear the word proclaimed and to have the sacraments administered and all of those good things. But this maybe, you know, maybe wouldn't be your first choice of where to drop into our life together. So if you're visiting with us, uh, hang tight. We've got a couple more weeks of this. And I hope that this is a blessing to you in some way, even today. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, I recognize that it may not be the, the, the most comfortable way to start your life with a, with a new church. So uh, we are glad you're here. So here's where we've been. We started out a few weeks ago just giving an overview of the Growing in Faith Together campaign, identifying some of the challenges that we're faced with in our building and uh, in what's happening in the growth and life of our church. And then in the second week, we talked about generational faith and how the faith is handed down from one generation to the next. And we thought about how we received faith from those who came before us and we pass it on to those who come after us. And all of that has to happen in a, in a place here that needs to facilitate that. And then last week, we had the beautiful chaos. Not all chaos is great in church, but a little bit of chaos once in a while is okay. And we had a lot of the good kind, I think, last week. We talked about acorns and how our smallest artisans, the acorns, if you will, are such beautiful parts of our community that we love them and embrace them and want to, you know, help them experience God, not because they'll become oak trees someday, but because acorns are miracles in their own right. And we had a great time with the kids, and they led the way in so many parts of our service last week, and we all made this beautiful piece of art together with the leaves and the Sharpies, and you can please check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Put it on Instagram, hashtag Artisan Growing, and so forth. Um, <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about the, the, the children and our children's ministry space. And I know that many of you in the room, you don't have children, or maybe you had children, they're grown and gone away. And it's not that you don't care about children. You, you want to support the children of Artisan, but you're thinking to yourself, 
you know, I'm really passionate about some other things. When is Pastor Scott going to give a sermon that makes me want to give lots of money to the Growing in Faith Together campaign? And I'm happy to tell you that that day is here. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking about accessibility and inclusion, and the sermon is entitled Invitations, which will become clear in a little bit. Um, I chose as my text today a story from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, If you uh, are a visual person, want to follow along in a Bible, you can use the Red Bibles and turn to page 836 and 837. If you brought your own, of course, you can look it up and find it. Or you can just listen to the story, that's fine if you prefer. This is a very famous, very popular story from the New Testament, a story of healing um, that Jesus performs. Many of you have heard this story, many of you have heard this story more than once. And so I chose this story on this day with this topic for two reasons, one of which is probably obvious and one is not as obvious. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do while I read the story. See if you can figure out what are the two reasons that Scott chose this story today on this topic of accessibility and inclusion and invitation, and we'll see if you can guess both reasons, okay? So this is Luke 5, 17. We're going to read through verse 26. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he'd been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. So let me tell you the first reason why I chose this story today. Here's an example of a person with a disability who can't get close to Jesus. Now, let me pause just for a second in this explanation of the first reason to talk about language a little bit. There is something of a debate within the disability community about whether you should use person-first language, in other words, what I just said, a person with a disability or people with disabilities, or on the other hand, whether you should use identity-first language, which would be disabled person or disabled people. And uh, there are passionate arguments on both sides of that. For, uh, within the disability community. Not being a member of that community, I sort of try to defer to whoever I'm talking with at the time. Given that we're in a mixed audience here, um, there might be some people in the room who prefer one over the other. So I'm going to alternate between the two. Fair enough? All right. Uh, by the way, it's an interesting uh, conversation 
for why somebody might prefer one or the other of those things, which actually could inform how we think about uh, accessibility in the church. But for now, we're going to leave that to the side, uh, and you can go look into that yourself if you're interested. But here's the ex- an example of a person with a disability who can't get close to Jesus because the building is too crowded and because he can't get through the front door. <laughs> is this a little too on the nose for us this morning? <laughs> Right? We have a building that's very crowded, particularly in the children's ministry states, but we're actually getting to the point of crowding in this room as well, especially when they're all with us. And uh, a person uh, with a wheelchair probably couldn't open our front doors if they weren't already propped open. Right? So I could preach the whole sermon from that angle, just from that first reason for choosing this text. Right? And it would, it would lead me to the place of making a big plea for you all to give generously to the Growing in Faith Together campaign so that disabled people can get to Jesus without cutting a hole in our roof, which, after all, was just put on this building less than five or six years ago. And that might actually work as a sermon. And up until a couple of years ago, that's probably the way I would have preached the sermon might have done just exactly what I described. But I can't give that sermon in that way today because of some of the things that I've learned in recent years about people with disabilities and their experiences. And so that leads me to the second reason for choosing this story today. How many of you guessed the first reason why I chose this story? Really, really easy, right? Well, here's the second reason. I wonder if anybody guessed this, that I chose this story. It's that this story, with a little bit of explanation, can show us how little we know and how poorly we understand our friends in the disability community. Let me tell you something that you might not know that happens to many disabled people the first time they visit a church. I'm talking the first time they go to a church. Never met anybody there. This bunch of well-intentioned Christian strangers gathers around them and places their hands on their body and prays for them to be healed of their disability. Now, in addition to being what should, I, I, I wish were a more obvious uh, violation of personal space, this is also a spiritual violation. Let me tell you why. Almost never does anybody stop and ask the person with the disability if they want to be healed of it before praying that they would be. And for many disabled persons, their disability is not something that they want to get rid of. It's something that they see as part of who they are. It's a point of pride for them. Let me give you an analogy. Imagine if, um, just off the top of my head here, imagine if a, a very tall man went to visit uh, a church full of rather short people. And um, all the short people looked up at him when he came in and, and they said, we're going to pray for you, brother. And they all put their hands on the man and prayed for him to be healed of his affliction of tallness. The man might be like, what are you doing? I rather like being tall. 
I can take my kid's Halloween candy and put it up on a very high shelf. They can never find it. I can eat it any, at any time. Again, this is just off the top of my head. I don't know. <laughs> this is just, a, just an example. What happens to people with disabilities in church is, is like that, but not funny. You imagine this could also happen to uh, left-handed people. Uh, or gay, or non-binary people, or people who are balding, or young people, or old people, or anybody who has kind of a, any kind of difference from the, from the majority in the room, being prayed for to have that difference removed. It's embarrassing, it's insulting, and perhaps worse of all, it, it, it demonstrates an inability or maybe an unwillingness on the part of people of faith to stop and listen to what's actually going on in the heart and in the mind of the person right in front of them who was created in God's image. So back to this second reason for choosing this story. See, when disabled people have spent their whole lives with this experience of unwanted prayers for unwanted healing, they begin to read stories of healing in the Bible a little differently than how you might or I might read them. See, some people with disabilities read this story from Luke chapter 5, and the first thing they think isn't, wow, what a beautiful, miraculous story, plus sticking it to the Pharisees and friendship thrown in. Go God! But actually, instead, their response is, did this man's friends even ask him if he wanted to go see Jesus? If he wanted to be lowered down through a roof into a room of people he didn't know? and be made a spectacle of? If he even wanted to be healed in the first place? Now let me encourage you, before you start to argue, before you jump to the defense of the story as it's told and the way it's interpreted, before you start to point out things like, of course he wanted to be healed, he went away praising God and all of those things, let me just, let me just ask you to turn that part of your brain off for a second. And instead, ask some questions. What does this way of reading this story have to teach us about different people's experience of being in church? Or of different people's experience of reading the Bible? Or of receiving the sacraments? Or of God? Ask yourself, what could we learn from the different perspectives that might be present, even when they're challenging our normal understanding of things, that we couldn't learn if they weren't there. And then think about the fact that the only reason in this case that I'm able to present to you that way of reading this text is that we have made friends with actual people with disabilities who've been part of our community over the past couple of years and uh, with some who are outside of our community but still have um, kind of an alleyway by which they can speak into our life as a church. Without those relationships, we would never have had the opportunity to learn those things. I certainly would not have been able to tell you that that perspective existed. And then start to think about how much we might have to learn from other people, people we don't know yet, people who don't have a voice in our congregation, people whose perspectives we have not heard because it hasn't been possible for them to be here with us. People who 
are essentially non-existent to us as a result of some barriers that are present at our church. So we have a new video to show you this morning. Very proud of it. We just wrapped it up at, uh, I think it was 1.59 a.m. <laughs> the, the link came through. Uh, I am eager to show it to you. Um, and I will say that uh, we have it captioned and subtitled, but there's a couple of typos there. We will fix those. We know that they're there, but at 1.59 in the morning, you print it and go. Um, so here's what I want you to think about as I show you this video. As you watch it, I want you to think about one last thing. I want you to think about the why, okay? I want you to think about why we at Artisan Church are concerned with accessibility and inclusion. Is it so we can pat ourselves on the back or put a badge on our website that shows how woke we are? Is it so we can be proud of how, like, we, the really important people, care so much about the less fortunate and less important people? Is there any bit of that attitude kind of floating around with this movement toward accessibility and inclusion? Is it so that we have a feather in our cap? Or is it because we recognize that we are actually impoverished as a community when entire groups of people are not present with us? Ask yourselves those questions. Aiden, would you please dim the lights and roll that video for us? I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, over my time at Artisan is that God's Word isn't good news for anybody if it's not good news for everybody. We've been working on racial reconciliation. We've been working to be more inclusive of people with disabilities and uh, people who are LGBTQ. I'm sure that we'll discover there are many other ways that we need to uh, open our doors wider, but... Uh, really, God's people encompasses everyone. God wants to reach the whole world. And we're just looking for people who look like us or act like us or talk like us. Then, then we're putting a limit on who God wants to reach. So I've seen a lot of big changes and little changes. One of my favorites is the ramp. When I first started at Artisan, there was this big push for aesthetics and beauty. And I was worried that a ramp would be viewed as unbeautiful and I was really excited when we were able to make a ramp that is so beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and it fits both within the ideology of artisan but also with the accessibility and ideology of accessibility and everybody being welcome here. The cloth on the table was there for aesthetic purposes. Um, but it's something that wheelchair users get their wheels stuck in a lot. And so every time I would go to take communion, I would wonder if I'm about to burn the place down. I think this table is absolutely gorgeous and we found a way to, again, keep it beautiful and accessible for everybody. When I think about Artisan's mission to encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus, and when you look at Jesus' ministry and how he really reached out to those who had been marginalized in society, It's clear that we are called to do the same thing, and we need to be looking for the people who have been left behind and bringing them in and giving them a space at the table alongside everybody else. I don't think people recognize how hard it is to navigate backing up into one door while trying to open another door and creating enough space between the two. Um, So it would be really great to have doors that have automatic openers. I don't think that 
I would be the only one utilizing them. People with disabilities would love them, but so would children. Kids love buttons. Um, and I think parents who have strollers or their hands full, or honestly anyone who's bringing anything for their potluck, is really going to appreciate some automatic doors, accessibilities for everyone. I think we need to do everything in our power to make sure that people are feeling comfortable and welcome and able to connect with God in the best way they can. So uh, you saw that URL at the end, artisangrowing.com. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can visit that URL for the details and to watch that video if you would like to see it instead of just hearing it in your headphones. Um, so we've learned a lot here at Artisan uh, about how to be welcoming to people with disabilities in the past couple of years. Uh, as Stephanie pointed out in the video, um, we have a couple of significant things that we still need to do. Uh, these are the big ticket items, if you will. We've, we've kind of gathered all the low-hanging fruit for how to make our building a little bit more accessible. We have a couple of pretty big dollar items that still need to be done. Um, the first one is those entry doors with the buttons. We all love buttons, not just kids. Everybody loves buttons. Um, if you've ever done any kind of home renovation and gotten a fancy door to put into your house, you know how expensive a door can be. Now imagine there's two of them and maybe four if you have an entry, uh, kind of a foyer space there in between. Uh, now imagine that you also need to put motors on them so that they can open and then you have to run electricity to that and all of the different contractors and everybody who's done this before, like the dollar signs are just rolling in your head. Right? This gets to be fairly expensive. And then the other thing that we have to do, the other big ticket item, is we have to completely renovate our bathrooms and uh, re redo them, basically, from the ground up. They're 30 years old and failing anyway, <laughs> um, but they're also not very uh, useful or accessible to many people with disabilities. For people who have uh, wheelchairs or who need aid with using the bathroom, um, there's just not enough space in those stalls. Um, and we've been talking almost exclusively this morning about how our building can be welcoming to disabled people. But in the case of the bathrooms, these same improvements also make our building welcoming for lots of other people, including transgender or non-binary people, uh, or anybody who, for whatever reason, is not entirely comfortable in a traditional stalled, gendered bathroom situation in a public place. Now, anybody who's ever renovated a bathroom knows that the same problem arises. <laughs> You pull out those old fixtures, you start putting in the new ones, and you think, well, I can get this one. It's $4, but it's really hideous, and the next one up is $192, right? <laughs> That's the way it works in bathroom renovations, and if you have to move them from one space in the building to another, it's, uh, it's also very expensive. Um, so yes, replacing those doors, replacing those bathrooms, those are big-ticket items. They're expensive, but I would like us to think about this a little bit differently. Instead of thinking about how expensive that project is or the whole project is, because this actually applies in either, either case, what if we thought instead about how costly it would be not to do that work? To help you get your mind around that, let me give you another little analogy. We're going to take communion together in just a minute. We... we uh, come around the big, we call it the big like banquet table of Jesus sometimes, right? <laughs> like a fancy dinner party where grace is on the menu and you're all invited. <laughs> but imagine if you received a, an invitation to an actual dinner party, like a fancy one that had those expensive script fonts on the front. Right? 
and you are excited to go to this, you can tell it's going to be a nice dinner. There's going to be some special people there. And you get there, you've, you've taken your, your nicest bottle of wine out of your collection or, or gone to the store and asked somebody, what's the right one for this special party? You're all excited to get there. You get to the place where the, the dinner is to be held and you hear the sounds of joy and excitement inside and you think, I'm just about to be there. And you get inside and you see where the food is laid out on this dining room table that seats exactly four people and you're the fifth person to walk into the room. And you think, uh, did I have the wrong date? Is this the wrong place? Is this the wrong party? And they say, no, 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 we want you to be here. We're glad you're here. That looks like a nice bottle of wine. We'll just put that over here. I'm so glad you came to dinner. And you think, uh, I can't really sit down. They're like, no, that's not a problem. We're glad you're here. All are welcome. But it doesn't take very long, does it, before you realize this is not actually a genuine invitation to something because I can't access it when I get here. That is what church is like for some people. I know it's not what church is like for most of you. So I'm asking you to practice some empathy and imagine that that might be true. That you come to church... And it seems like welcoming in lots of ways. And then maybe you spend some time there even. Then eventually you hit these barriers that they didn't tell you were going to be there. You find that, no, actually, you can't do this. You can't go to that space. You can't be part of this ministry team. And we talk about all the time how this building is not the church. We are the church, right? You've heard me say that before? That goes all the way back to one of our founding pastors, Brian Hake, who used to say that when he would do the, the dismissal, he would say that every week. This is a building. You are the church. Now go be the church. I say some version of that even now today. And yet, we do meet in a building that's called the church building. So we have to think both ways about this. Here's the problem. If our building does not reflect and express the same values that we, the body of Christ, have in our hearts and minds then that's a problem that has to be addressed. Now, there's this beautiful moment in the New Testament in the book of Acts where the Apostle Peter has had this crazy dream and like wild uh, uh, course of events. It's in Acts chapter 10. You can read about it. But what he comes to say in all of it is this. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We want to say that with our lips. We want to mean it in our hearts and we want our building to communicate it as well. So, I'm going to get you to the communion table in about 90 seconds, but I want to do one short thing first. I want to invite you to something fancy. If you have not already RSVP'd for one of our candlelight receptions, we have two of these. One of them is tonight at 6, and one of them is Wednesday at 7. I know we set the deadline for RSVP as yesterday, but I'm going to extend that to, uh, to you just today. Uh, if you haven't RSVP'd yet, we'd love to have you come to one of these. They will be kind of fancy. There will be enough food and wine and places to be to go around. Um, 
We have lots of stuff planned. Some of the, uh, all the food is being made by artisans in-house, sometimes being made by some of our youth who are, they can outbake anybody in this room, I promise. So don't, uh, don't miss out on that. And then the other thing that's going to happen at these is uh, you're going to find out how you could go about getting one of these wonderful Artisan Church t-shirts that you saw our band wearing today. Uh, if you have been thinking this whole morning, oh, those look sharp. I wish I could have one. We're going to find out how to get one. <laughs> or if you've noticed me drinking water from this beautiful Artisan Church pint glass, which has a nice echo, uh, we'll tell you tonight. Or maybe if you're more of a note-taking nerdy sort, we have these beautiful Artisan notebooks. They're not Field Notes branded, but they are very much like Field Notes, if you know what I'm talking about. Dot grids on the inside, beautiful letterpress design. Um, Maybe you want one of those, or maybe you've been eyeing this attractive amber bottle the whole morning. Uh, it's been sitting on this stool. It has our logo on it as well, right? We have swag, is what I'm saying to you. And if you want to find out how to get some of that swag, you've got to come to one of these receptions. So please do RSVP, artisanchurch.com slash RSVP, and uh, we have childcare provided. Um, just let us know what you need and all that kind of stuff. So um, I want to invite you now to come to the table of the Lord. And when you come this time, I want you to notice that it's a fairly small table. It's designed to serve everybody in the room, but let's leave that aside for a second. Let's imagine that this is that table that people have been invited to, and that when they get there, there's, every seat is already taken. I want you to imagine whether or not that might be true at Artisan in some ways, and what we might be able to do about it, and what you might be able to do about it. If you prefer not to take communion uh, this morning, that's okay. It's an open table, but sometimes people are not, uh, not believers and they don't want to be participating in this part. That's okay. You can sit and think or meditate. We'll have a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who would be happy to pray with anyone who needs prayer. And uh, our kids are welcome to take communion. If you want to go get them before you can or right after, it would be wonderful. All right. So our band will come up. We're going to sing a couple more songs as we take communion. But come to the table. Notice that it is small and think about how we can be more accessible, more inclusive, and more invitational at Artisan Church. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.